the Holy Spirit is the forgotten person. He's forgotten because Christians forget to speak about him. We might even forget to think about him. Sometimes we forget he's a person and we speak of him as if he's just a force or a power. Now some Christians focus on the Holy Spirit quite a lot, but they forget what his true role is and what our focus should be as followers of Jesus. But why is this the case? Why is there a tendency to forget the Spirit? Well, in one sense, it's because he's the shy member of the Trinity. Now let me just pause there, that word Trinity... Uh, I don't have time to unpack that completely or to defend that idea. Uh, But I will say it's a foundational Christian belief, which states that uh, there is one true God and he exists in a tri-unity of divine persons who have revealed themselves as Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Uh, So one being, three persons. And that's a mind-bending concept, isn't it? But we don't believe it because we kind of invented it. We believe it because it's revealed to us in the Bible and and in the way that God saves people. And hopefully this will make a bit more sense as we go through this study. So the Holy Spirit is a member of the Trinity, but he's the shy member. Well, why is that? Well, as we're going to see later on, his role is actually to point away from himself and to point us to the Son and to the Father. He delights in giving them glory and he only speaks what the Father and the Son tell him to say. That's why we might refer to him as the third member of the Trinity. Not because he's the third in importance, but it's about his role. So in one sense, the focus is not on himself. And so that means it's easy for us to forget that he's even present. And we can actually see this in how we teach Christian beliefs. In theology books or Christian discipleship, the topic of the Holy Spirit tends to come later. That's because we need to lay the foundation first. You know, God created the world, he created people, people have rebelled against God, the Father sends the Son into the world to die, to save people, to rescue humans, restore them to God, and all who repent and believe will be saved. These are the core truths of the Christian faith. But how do they become real for us individually? How do we come to have faith and receive the benefits of what Jesus has done for us? What's the work of the Holy Spirit? So then, once we've laid down these core truths, we can go back and see how the Holy Spirit is at work behind the scenes in all of these areas. And so the richness of these teachings is revealed. The means by which they are made real to us is revealed. We even see this in the structure of the Bible, that the clearer teachings on the Holy Spirit come later in the Bible. And so given this, it's not a surprise that we can forget about the Holy Spirit. Because in our impatience, we kind of don't get to that chapter in our theology books. Uh, We skip over the last, the later bits of the Bible that speak about him. We hurry our discipleship process once we've laid the foundations about Jesus. But when we stop and reflect, we see that the Holy Spirit is the key to making the truths of salvation personal to us. The Holy Spirit is often the forgotten person of the Trinity. And that's one of the reasons why we're doing this series. Now there's a lot that could be said, so we're going to limit ourselves. Over the next three weeks following on, Aaron's going to preach on the experience of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. And God willing, we can come back to this topic another time. And so today my aim is quite simple. 
I want to demonstrate to you that the Holy Spirit is a person, not a force, that the Holy Spirit is divine. He is God, not a lesser being. Uh, And then we're going to look at some practical implications of this, why it's important for us. So to help us do this, we're going to camp out in John's Gospel, particularly in chapter 16. And so we're going going to get on now with our first idea. The Holy Spirit is a person, not a force. So if you do have a Bible in front of you, please turn to John 14. We're going to refer to a few verses there before we get to chapter 16. As you might know, in this point of John's Gospel, his account of Jesus' life, Jesus is sharing his last supper with his disciples. He knows that he's about to die, so he prepares his friends for his departure. At the start of chapter 14, he says he's going to leave so he can prepare a place for them in his father's home. And he tells them that he is the way, the truth and the life, because nobody comes to the father except through Jesus. And then we come to verses 16 to 18 of John 14. I'll read them out for us. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So Jesus speaks here of sending an advocate. In other Bible translations, that word appears as counsellor or helper or comforter. There are many words because it's trying to explain a a big concept. The advocate is someone who will assist the disciples. He'll plead their case. He'll serve them. He'll reassure them. In effect, he'll replace Jesus, which is why he is another advocate. And who is this advocate? Verse 17 says, the spirit of truth. If you look down at verse 26, you'll see this. (coughs) But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. This is the third person of the Trinity. He's coming to continue the role that Jesus played. And as a replacement for Jesus, listen carefully, he must be a person. To continue on Jesus' role, he must be a person. Now, do you notice that the word he is used repeatedly when we refer to the Spirit? I mean, that should be a pretty big clue. We're to view him as a person, not a thing. He is a personal being, not a force. Now, I'm not embarrassed to admit that I'm a Star Trek fan. I know most people are more of a Star Wars sort of, they, they prefer Star Wars. I, I don't mind talking about Star Wars. And if you've watched those movies, you'll know in the, the world that George Lucas has created, there's this idea of the Force. And the Force is an impersonal power that permeates the universe and which certain people can tap into. You know, Luke Skywalker can use the Force. If you've watched the more recent movies, you know that Ray she can use the Force and without any training, she can beat the bad guy. That's how powerful the Force is. Now, sometimes it almost seems like the Force in Star Wars has a will. It's kind of directing people, but the Force also has a dark side and a light side. And I actually think that shows it's impersonal. The Force is a Force. Now, often Christians view the Holy Spirit as a Force a power that God gives to Christians so they can do amazing things, so they can defeat the bad guys. 
But the Bible is clear. The Holy Spirit is a person. That's why we call the Spirit a him and not an it. Now, I'd been a Christian for many years before I truly grasped this concept. I'd always referred to the Holy Spirit as an it. But once I'd finally got this straight in my head, I found that ever since then it's grated on my ears whenever someone has said it. But it's an easy easy slip of the tongue. I still do it, so I'm not going to come down on your heart if you say that. But we need to be training ourselves to think he's a spirit, not a thing. Uh, He's a person, not a thing. But does that mean that the spirit is male? Is he a bloke? Well, absolutely not. He's a spiritual being and therefore he has no gender. Uh, The reason we refer to him as he is because it reminds us of his personhood. Now, there are some technical uh, discussions about the Greek pronouns used of the spirit, whether they're neuter or masculine, but I'm not going to get into that now. You can come and talk to me later if you're really excited about that. I think we can actually look to other evidence to see the personhood of the spirit. So now you can turn your Bibles to John 16 or open up your Connect cards and we can look at the passage there. And you'll see the last two verses of chapter 15 there as well. Uh, And Jesus speaks again of this advocate or spirit of truth. And and, And what will his role be according to verse 26? It's that he will testify about Jesus. This is actually a personal activity. He needs to have a mind to be able to engage with that. Uh, Let's scan down to verses 7 to 11. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin because people do not believe in me. About righteousness because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. So we see here that the Spirit is playing the role of a prosecuting attorney. Now, while he is an advocate for believers, he turns against the world to argue that it is in the wrong. People in general are wrong about sin, righteousness, and judgment. And so without the help of God's Spirit, No one can recognize that they have sinned against God and they can't actually be truly sorry for that. Now, we might feel guilty about some of the things we've done. We might even have a concept of maybe there's a God and we've broken his laws. But we cannot know our true state before God apart from the work of God's Spirit. We cannot know that we stand condemned for not believing in Jesus. The Spirit reveals our sins to us and our need for forgiveness. He also reveals that the world is wrong about righteousness. He reveals that our standards of justice and good living are inconsistent and woefully inadequate. Jesus was about to return to the Father, so then the Spirit would continue the work of teaching that human-centered righteousness is worthless. And finally, the Holy Spirit reveals that the world is wrong about judgment. He reveals that a day of reckoning is coming. Satan already stands condemned and everyone who joins with him in rebelling against God will face judgment. We can often think that the world will just continue on forever and ever, never changing. We think we can get away with whatever we like. But the Spirit reveals that judgment is definitely coming. So why does the Spirit do this? Sounds like a bit of a downer, doesn't it? 
But the Spirit does this work. He, he shows the world to be in the wrong so that he can save us. He opens our hearts and minds to the truth, to the truth of God's love. And that Jesus has died on the cross to spare us the judgment that we deserve. Our sins have been paid for by Jesus dying on the cross. And so the Spirit opens us up to our need for salvation and the way to be saved. Because Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. And so the reason why I point out all of this, all this work of the Spirit, is that this is the work of a personal being. The Holy Spirit is not a force that activates the salvation mode within us. It's not as if there's kind of this switch inside of us and the Holy Spirit is God's kind of radio signal he sends from heaven and when that switch is activated, then we become saved. No, his work is the personal work of a personal being who's able to personally communicate and work within us. You'll see I've listed some Bible references which back up that the Spirit is personal. You can look those up later, but I'll share a couple now. Uh, Romans 8, verse 16, the Apostle Paul writes this, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. In Ephesians 4, verse 30, says this, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Only persons can testify only persons can be grieved. The Holy Spirit is a person. But is he really divine? Is he truly the third member of the Trinity? Is he God? Many people would say no. Uh, some people actually view him as a created spiritual being, like an angel. But if we keep studying John 16, we'll see the second idea about him. The Holy Spirit is God, not a lesser being. And we get a clue that the Spirit is of the same category of being as Jesus since in John 14 he's referred to as another advocate. So he continues the work of Jesus. We know that Jesus came from the Father. Jesus is the eternal Son of God who became a man. And the Holy Spirit continue on this work of Jesus but in the lives of all believers. How can he do that? Well, he's able to be spiritually present in every single Christian's life. Now perhaps you've never thought of this, but God alone is omnipresent, as in being present everywhere at once. Satan, demons, angels, they can't be everywhere at once. Only God can do that. And so the Holy Spirit has this, this uh, attribute, and you cannot give that divine quality to a lesser being, because that would be saying there's two ultimate beings in, in the universe, in existence which just doesn't make sense. And so the Spirit continues the work of Jesus because he is divine just like the Son. He is God. Now how exactly do we make sense of the Trinity? It's, it's still a mind-bending concept, isn't it? So we can't solve all those questions today. But let me point you to one key verse that I think is helpful. Matthew 28, verse 19. And Jesus says this to his apostles. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So there is one name that people are to be baptized into. But that name relates to three distinct persons. There is the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. 
And each one must be God because God wouldn't share his identity with lesser beings. Jesus didn't say, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father who is God, Jesus who's just a man, and the kind of spiritual force. No, he refers to three persons who make up the one God and they share the one name. And look again at John, chapter 15, verse 26. We read that he's the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father. In other words, he has the same origin point as Jesus. Both the Son and the Holy Spirit are divine persons who are sent by the Father. Then we can jump down to verses 13 to 15 of John 16 to learn more about this spirit of truth. I'll read it out for us. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Now, first of all, remember the context. Jesus is speaking to his disciples, to the apostles. He's taught them a whole bunch of things. And he's saying, don't worry, guys, if you forget things, if you're not taking notes, I'm going to send the Spirit and he'll remind you of what I've taught you. So we shouldn't think that this is a promise to all Christians that we're going to learn all these new things by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now we've got the Bible, has the apostles teaching, we have what we need to know. But when we think closely about what the Holy Spirit is doing here, we see this points to his divinity. See, we could read it one way, by saying this is a lesser being, like God's messenger boy. God gives him messages to bring down to earth. And so perhaps he's like an angel. But we shouldn't get confused by the fact that he only says what he's told to say. What we should actually be emphasising on is the intimacy that's going on between the persons of the Trinity. It's the sort of intimacy that only God has within himself. Think of it this way. The Son shared with the Father in eternity past... And then the Son came to earth, born as a man, to reveal the Father to us. He taught us who the Father is. After he ascended back to heaven to be back with the Father, Jesus sent the Spirit to reveal Jesus to people across the world. So the Son reveals the Father and the Spirit reveals the Son. And these three persons are united in their being. Now, this is all a bit confusing, isn't it? I hope that you're mostly tracking with me, and I'm happy to have questions later on. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 2. That might help clear some things up. You've got a Bible, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 10 and 11. And in 1 Corinthians 2, uh, Paul is saying that because of what Jesus has done, his mission on earth, he's now revealed the mystery of God, that this mystery has been disclosed, and he goes through some of the details about it. And then in verse 10 of 1 Corinthians 2, we read this. These are the things that God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. In verse 12, uh, what we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God so that we may understand what God has freely given us. 
So let's unpack Paul's logic there. Think about it this way. Humans have a physical dimension. We have our physical bodies, but we also have a spiritual dimension, don't we? We have a, a body and a spirit. And Paul is saying that, well, our spirit knows our true self. And it's actually hard to truly know someone else because we can't actually know their spirit in the way that we know our own spirit, the way that we know ourselves. And so in a similar way, the Spirit of God, He takes on this role within the Trinity of knowing and communicating the thoughts of God. How do we know God? By His Spirit coming and revealing Himself to us. Perhaps a, a little kind of uh, understanding His name, I think this might help, a little uh, digression here. But I've sometimes wondered, why do we call Him the Holy Spirit? Because the Father and the Son are spirit too. The Father and the Son are holy as well. Surely they're all holy spirits. Well, think about it this way. The Holy Spirit especially plays the role of what the Spirit in humans does. The Spirit plays the role of revealing the person to us, revealing God to us. And so of the three members of the Trinity, that's his main role and purpose to us. Also, all three persons are holy, uh, but the Holy Spirit, his role is especially to bring that holiness to us, to make us holy, to make us more like Jesus. And so this is about his role. So even though the Holy Spirit is the shy member of the Trinity who points away from himself, he's less known by us, he is still truly God. That's why he's able to act in the place of Jesus. That's why he's able to reliably reveal the Father and the Son to us. That's why also he's able to bring about God's will, because it's his will. And he's able to save, transform and equip us. The Holy Spirit is a person and he is God. Now if you're still not convinced or this is just a bit not clear in your head, uh, then I do encourage you to look up the other Bible verses that I've listed in the outline. And I'm confident that you'll come to see the personhood and the divinity of the Holy Spirit. But many of you are probably sitting there going, so what, Adam? This just seems like an intellectual topic that has no relevance for us. Well, I think this is actually really important for how we live our daily lives as Christians. It comes back to his role. And I've got three application points, and they come under this heading. The Holy Spirit points Christians to the Father and to the Son. <coughs> on Monday, I received one of the greatest messages on WhatsApp from a friend that I've ever received. This friend, he's been a Christian for about 10 years and he's had a pretty hard journey because when he became a Christian, his wife wasn't a Christian and actually opposed it. She didn't like the change that had come about in his life. He's changed commitments. Uh, she refused to let him take their kids to church. There was this tension in their marriage for many, many years. Uh, a group of us uh, prayed for her regularly. We shared the gospel with her. We invited her along to events, got to know her, tried to, to love her in the hope that she would become a Christian too. And so this message I got on Monday was a video for my friend. And as I watched it, here was his wife standing in front of their church declaring her faith in Jesus. After all these years, she had finally come to Jesus. And I was just filled with so much joy. 
to think here's someone that we've prayed for, we've cared for, and she just seems so hard and resistant to the truths about God. But what really melted my heart was when she's sharing her testimony and she was explaining how it was just this slow work of things just coming to, to understanding in her own mind, seeing these truths for what they were, realizing that her husband actually wasn't crazy after all, that these things were true, but they'd become true for her. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter how many times we point someone to the Bible and explain who Jesus is. If the Holy Spirit is not working, they won't understand. But I saw a changed woman on this video declaring her love of Jesus in front of others and then she was baptised. It was wonderful. And this is what the Holy Spirit does when he makes the truths of salvation personal to us. He doesn't point to himself. He points people to the Father and to the Son so that they can be saved, these people can be saved and forever changed. And so our first application point is that all Christians have the Holy Spirit. You know, the only way to have faith in Jesus as your Lord and Saviour is for the Spirit of God to first come and do a miraculous work in your life. You know, Sometimes Christians can worry about whether they have the Spirit or not. They feel that perhaps they need to to do something, say a special prayer or get a second blessing or seek a, a baptism in the Holy Spirit. And then they feel, well, if I could just do that, then I could be a powerful Christian. Then I can finally live the life of obedience that I want to live. And then I can finally do amazing things for Jesus. But the truth is, all Christians have the Holy Spirit. Jesus says in John 16 that one of the advocates' chief roles is to convict the world about sin and righteousness and judgment. You can only understand those things if the Spirit first opens your eyes. And that's when you can turn to Jesus and be saved. The fact that you are a Christian is a sign that you have the Holy Spirit. Listen to what Romans 8 verse 9 says. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, think the world, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. Now you might have questions about, well, how, how do you know you have the Spirit? What does that look like on a, on a day-to-day basis? What is the experience of His presence? I'm going uh, to let Aaron explain that in the, the coming weeks. Uh, but we can draw out one observation now. Uh, and this is our next application point. The Holy Spirit brings God's presence for comfort and counsel. Uh, listen to John 14, verse 23. Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. So remember the start of John 14, Jesus says that he's going to heaven to prepare a place, a home for Christians. But then he says in the meantime that he and the Father will make their home in Christians. What's he talking about? It's the Holy Spirit. Obeying Jesus' teaching is about trusting him as Saviour, following him as Lord. And in response to our decision to love Jesus, he sends the Holy Spirit to take up permanent residence within us. 
And since God the Spirit is united to God the Father and God the Son, His presence in our lives brings the presence of the other two members of the Trinity. So even though you will not always feel it, God is always present with you. He is present in you. The Spirit is the comforter because He reminds you that you're never alone and He ensures that God always knows what you're going through. The Spirit is also the counsellor because He reminds you of the truths of the Gospel. He reminds you of what the Bible says. He helps you understand the Bible. He helps you to lead a godly life. Do you know what? This is why it was good that Jesus left the earth. You know, sometimes we might feel, wouldn't it be nice if Jesus had have just hung around, you know, set up shop in Jerusalem, established the kingdom there, and then we could know what we're supposed to do, how to live. We could ask him questions. But then if we wanted to be in his presence, we'd have to go to wherever he was. We couldn't all actually be with Jesus at once, could we? We couldn't actually fit together. So look again at John 16, verse 7. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. It's actually a good thing that Jesus has ascended to the right hand of the Father and sent the Spirit. Because then we can all daily be in God's presence, wherever we are, and we can know the comfort and counsel that that brings. And our third and final application point is that we can pray to the Holy Spirit, but not to the neglect of prayer to the Father. The reason we're able to pray with God anywhere, anytime, is because God's always with us in a special way by the presence of the Spirit within us. And since the Spirit is a person, we've established that, and since the Spirit is God, we've established that, we can rightly pray to Him. I often pray that the Spirit would guide me and I'd listen to what He's teaching me as I'm reading the Bible. It's why some of our songs that we sing in church are addressed to the Spirit. It's okay to speak to Him, it's okay to pray to Him. But that shouldn't be our primary form of prayer. There are some people who feel like that's the only way to pray to God is to always be praying to the Spirit. But you know, there's not a single example in the Bible of someone praying to the Spirit. There are a handful of examples of people praying to Jesus, but all the other examples are praying to the Father. Jesus taught us to pray, our Father in heaven. And the reason for this is not that the Holy Spirit's not worth praying to, but think about his role. His purpose is to point us to the Son and to the Father. And therefore, a spirit-filled church is not a spirit-focused church, but rather a Christ-centered church that is focused on glorifying the Father. The Holy Spirit is the shy member of the Trinity, but let's make sure we don't forget him. He is a person. He is God. So let's honor him and join with him in looking to Jesus, our Savior, and to our Heavenly Father. Let's pray. Oh, great God, we come before you in thank and praise for who you are and for the wonderful truth that you have revealed yourself to us. Father God, we praise you for your love of us and the way in which you govern our lives. Lord Jesus, eternal Son, 
We praise you for taking on a human nature so that you could die in our place to redeem us from death, sin and the devil. The Holy Spirit, co-equal, co-eternal with the Father and Son, we praise you for your work in revealing Christ to us, in regenerating us and in daily shaping us to be holy as our Father in heaven is holy. Amen.